0: Hey, dude, did I tell you about this guy I know who's got a podcast? Really?
1: A podcast in 2023? That's unheard of. No, for real. It's had all the icons from my
0: childhood on it. Like who? Rick DeTemp, Kenny and Spenny, George Strombolopoulos. That's pretty cool. I asked to be on it. Oh, yeah? What did you say? He's going to get back to me. Anyways, this is Oliver's second story. What's going on, everybody? I'm Josh Sabalski here, of course, with Corey Lecky as always. And today we've got a very special guest from the Just Chill with Oliver George podcast. We've got Oliver George. What's going on, man?
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me on, you guys.
0: Oliver, I've been a big fan of yours for quite a while. A few years ago, I got introduced to your podcast by a buddy of mine. And I was saying to Corey before we jumped on air, as I started to watch it, I was like, this guy is just running through my childhood with all of these guests. <laughs> like literally through my entire childhood of the people that I really enjoy watching too. or listening to. Yeah. Corey's too. So you had on. <laughs> yeah. Yours too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're all from a uh, pretty much the same era. I would think like we're all in our late thirties, early forties. So yeah, I'm guessing, I don't know your age actually. Uh, I was born in
2: 85. So I, I'm 37 and a half. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you're born the same year as me. So yeah, there you go. But you've I had, I I'm uh, still 20... young because I'm still saying and a half. And yeah, a... <laughs> it seems like a kid thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you get to 95, you're not gonna be saying, oh, I'm 95 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I will. Hey. I actually Maybe. probably will. Corey and I were saying, like, if you get a Trailer Park Boys cast member on your show, you've completed the entire, the entirety <laughs> of our childhood. You're that, that's that, how close that, you are.
2: That would be a dream. Yeah. Especially Ricky would be amazing. I mean, any of them, but uh, I almost, well, I wouldn't say I almost got, but I was trying to get Pat Roach Randy because he was doing his uh, cheeseburger picnic tour and he was playing playing just down the street at the Brass Monkey. So, um, but that one didn't pan out you know They can't all happen
0: <laughs> but i try yeah he he'd be fun he'd be fun the rob wells would be the one i would want to talk to as well i heard rob's very
2: intelligent man isn't he like a, a teacher or something like that
0: oh really i, I didn't know I, that
2: yeah i believe i had heard that yeah. i don't want to be making shit up but i, I could have sworn i heard somewhere that he was a teacher
0: imagine he watches this one day he's like i'm a biochemist bitch I'm like a <laughs> teacher what are you talking about <laughs> I think you honestly, you have to be intelligent to play that dumb
2: and play it that well. You know what I mean? I think everything every move he does as Ricky is
0: actually super calculated to to be that doofus, you know? Yeah, you listen yeah, to sure. I don't know if you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Charlie course. Day, who plays Charlie Kelly, you listen to Charlie Day talk. He's a very impressive person, like very intelligent. But on the show, he's just an absolute idiot. Yeah, <laughs> huffing paint and stuff. Yeah. So your guests, let's talk about your guests for a second. Uh, the reason it was for me, my childhood was you've had on George Strombolopoulos, Rick Campanelli. So it was Rick the Temp back in the day. Uh, you've had on John Doerr. You've had on the Degrassi cast. I'm Glenn yeah yep, exactly. Phil Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, Phil Giroux just came recently.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm missing a, a bit. Kenny oh, uh, Tommy Chong. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny Hots. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny and, Spenny. and Spenny. Yeah. Literally, oh, yeah, pro- yeah for like 15 years of my life that you've basically covered. Well, I appreciate Al- that there's people out there that enjoy this stuff. Another one was Alan Cross, who I grew up listening to Alan Cross, too. I found it yeah. interesting, like, the episodes that you do that seem to get a ton of traction. So, like, Strombo was one of them, Spencer, uh, Kenny. I found it oh. interesting that Alan- the Alan Cross episode, which I thought was terrific, it didn't get the the amount of views that I thought it might have got. But does that ever surprise you? Like, what gets traction and what kind of doesn't?
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me what gets traction, because I think it's all like, enjoyable and, and should be getting decent views. But I, I don't know if it's algorithms or what, I've definitely noticed that the zoom interviews, people seem to not click on as much. And I wonder if that's uh, sort of the fallout of everyone just being reminded of the the pandemic and COVID when they see that zoom platform. No offense, since we're doing something yeah, that doesn't well well
0: for us. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm just,
2: that's my honest uh, sort of reflection when I look at the numbers sometimes. But I also try not to like stress about it too much. As long as I have a good time and learn something and make a new friend. And and as long as anyone's out there enjoying it, even if it is only 50 people, like I still want to embrace that because that's 50 human beings listening to me talk about this or that, you know, which does mean a lot. And Spotify, there's people listening on there too. And I I never check those. So I always tell myself that too. If a, if a video on YouTube doesn't have as many views as I'd like, then I go, oh, well, there's probably some people listening to the audio version and got to factor that in.
0: Yeah, for sure. There was definitely well into the hundreds for the Alan Cross episode, but I was like, I was a little surprised by that because, I mean, maybe it's just my own bias. I've always been a huge fan of his. So I, I do. I actually seek out his stuff a lot of the time. So maybe it's yeah, just me.
2: I've definitely pondered all this stuff a lot and I don't know that I have a real answer. Um, I do find like, it is confounding sometimes as to like how do you get a hit video on YouTube, you know? But yeah. again, I think it's like it's almost bad to keep focusing on that because then I'll just stress out about that and really where is that going to get me? I suppose I could be more proactive with um all the little tricks and techniques that people do, but I'm I feel like I'm already so busy just producing my show, like researching guests and editing and doing the social media side of things that I I don't I
0: can't spin another plate, you know. Yeah. So let's talk about how busy you are. Uh, Corey and and I do a lot, too. um, And I'm always amazed by how much I could pack into one day. But for you, so you're you talk about you're about to become a husband. You're a father. You are a podcaster. You're also a comedian and a musician. Did I miss anything?
2: Um, Well, father, I will say I have three kids and two of them are in the teenager age now. So that's people who know, you know, (laughs) if you've got a teenager, um, they're wonderful kids. But, you know, it brings some hormonal challenges <laughs> that you might not get at the younger years. Um, I also work uh, on call at the hospital, sort of. I work around my partner's schedule. Uh, when she has some days off, I'll pick up a couple shifts. I'm primarily a, a father and house husband, as I like to say. <laughs> it's 2023. I'll wear that with with pride. Yeah, um, why not? But yeah, I do sterilize surgical equipment at the hospital, uh, usually overnight. That's kind of uh, my, my dig there, so.
0: Well, I'll see, you in, I'll see you in a few years, maybe. I got a, I got a couple surgeries coming up over the next two years, so I might see you in there. I'll probably be at a different hospital, but... So how... Uh, let's go way back. We'll talk about sort of the origins of your podcast, uh, and maybe even before that. So we're second story we talk about people's sort of the big change that occurred in people's lives so for you when i reached out to you i thought it was you kind of moving into the more creative side of your life and you sort of corrected me on that and said it was it kind of went even back further than than that um Mm. but for you like what were the origins of you moving in and sort of uh, embracing the more creative elements of your life so being a comedian being a musician being a podcaster obviously we're just say that all kind of started
2: Yeah, I guess the correction I was making is that it was more like a revisiting because I think I've always been kind of a creative type. Like I used to love drawing as a kid, but I went to like drama camps and I was in school plays and stuff and always did pretty well with that. And then in high school, I straight up wanted to be like in a band and be a rock star. I started playing reggae when I was like 13. And that was kind of my jam. And I don't know how I thought that was going to be like a career, but that was definitely (laughs) where my head was at. I never did stand up, even though I was really uh, proficient at public speaking in school when I was young, I made it to like, you know, the board finals, that kind of thing. in like grade six and eight, I think. Um, But it never clicked to do stand up, which is weird looking back because I always was watching like just for laughs before school. And I always had an affinity towards stand up, but it never dawned on me, which is so weird now looking back. Um, but yeah, I got married to my ex-wife um, when she was 21, I was 23, and it was kind of like a whirlwind thing where we we did a lot of steps really fast. And, you know, of course, I don't regret any of it because I love my kids and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Things unfolded as the universe intended, uh, as far as I'm concerned now, looking back. But uh, also, as someone with a 14-year-old, I look back and go like, holy shit, like that's nine years from now, he could be doing something like that. And uh, so that really understandably took up a lot of my time. You know, we were young, we didn't have tons of money. So, um, there was even the fact that I I barely got a lot of sleep during those years because I would be doing like security overnight. And then, uh, my wife at the time would work during the day and I would be taking care of the kids on like no sleep and getting a couple hours when they were napping. And, uh, you know, my, I had chunks of my hair falling out. I had alopecia for a couple of years. I was just shaving my head bald. Um, and then, yeah, things came to a head. You know, we we probably should have broken up a little earlier. I think we were married about four years. Uh, and I speak about this in a cavalier way because we're on, you know, really good terms as far as exes with sh- a shared custody and all that. You know, we've always been put the kids first, worked things out. We don't really have any animosity. So, uh, but yeah, we broke up after about four years. Probably should have broken up maybe a little earlier. <laughs> and. That was a real um changing experience. That was because I spent about six months. It was very humbling, first of all, because I moved back with my parents for six months. And that was, you know, at 27 or eight or whatever I was, it was, I didn't feel like a super cool dude. <laughs> um, You <laughs> know, and I tried to, and I'm, I'm kind of someone who likes being in a relationship, too. So I'm not great at being single, I've noticed. And so I was, probably during that time trying to date trying to move on probably faster than I should have you know I probably should have been processing the fact that my marriage was ending but instead I was like okay got to get back out there I don't know I remember it being a really weird 6 months uh but then I met my current partner and that was you know just serendipitous and someone I knew from my youth but never really knew that well but would see at the bus stop kind of thing and uh it was very, very, you know, just perfect partners. So that was one part that I look back going, wow, what, a, what an amazing change in my life. Because when something like a divorce happens, of course, it can feel like soul crushing. But now I look at uh, what that has brought about, you know, and I'm so much happier and she's so much happier. She's remarried with two more kids like, you know, everybody's in a better place. And it's just interesting to see that that shift from what you think is initially, Oh my God, this sucks. The world is ending. The family's breaking apart. It's so, uh, you know, you feel like an asshole, you feel like you failed. And it was like a rebirth almost though, to find a new partner and get back to a happy place. And then also just realize, okay, yeah, maybe I want to do some more creative stuff because I started getting more balanced life. I started exercising, eating healthier, uh basically stopped eating meat um i don't know if that really factored in but definitely lost weight and felt healthier for me so that worked for me um just a lot of changes yeah and that was around the same time that i thought okay let's go do stand up i had been texting myself little funny things that i thought might be usable on a comedy club stage and i signed up and performed for the first time on april fools 2015 which i thought was a really cool first stand up date And it went really well. Like I papered the audience a little bit with my friends. I think I had like maybe seven or eight people there really supporting me and they were very supportive. (laughs) So if you watch that video on YouTube, wherever it is, it sounds like uproarious and I think I did well, but I'm sure some of that was my friends kind of, you know, propping me up. Um, Yeah, so I got the bug from that and that led into other things. a resurgence of music really because I started revisiting music in a brand new way and, and started writing comedy songs which was something I had never done when I was a musician as a teenager I was just playing you know whatever I thought would be my band style but never thought about using a comedic element and now I almost exclusively if I'm playing music it's comedy
1: music <laughs> is that part of your routine now like your stand-up routine is playing music as well
2: Generally speaking, I think I enjoy that more just because I feel more comfortable. Um, I do do stand up sometimes just, you know, go and do six minutes of whatever jokes and I don't. I challenge myself by not bringing my guitar. But it is uh, a comforting thing I find to have because remembering a song is something I've been doing since I was so young that like that's, I don't know, just that process is kind of ingrained in me a lot more. Whereas when you're just talking, it feels like it can go off the rails a lot easier. Uh, that's just my perspective, but I feel like, yeah, you. If you're playing a song and you and you mess something up, but the guitar keeps going, and then you're you're back in it, you know, people barely even notice. But when it's just you and your voice and the microphone, and you start to bomb, or or, you know, I don't I don't know how to explain it, but I, I do find that the music side of things really makes it easier for me to not stress out so much.
0: Nice. I can't remember who said this. It might have actually been Logan Brown, mm-hmm. who's an Ottawa comic who you've actually had on your show before. Yeah, he's I think hilarious. It was him, but I yeah, he's he's an excellent comedian. But I, I think it was him who said that with mu- being a music like musician and a comedian when you're playing music, there's a rhythm that you get to go with. So like if you're playing your guitar, you have a rhythm to go with and if you yeah. mess up or like like you were talking about, you mess up or maybe your joke doesn't hit, there's still the guitar that's going to carry you. So there's not yeah. that awkward silence that you know, where you can hear a pin drop because nobody's laughing. So that you sort of avoid that, which you're kind of covering it up. It's interesting that you you brought your friends to your first stand up show. I know a lot of people who have tried to break into comedy will go to a place and and they're like, I don't want to embarrass myself in front of my friends. I don't bring anybody. I just go alone Mm -hmm. and try to do like an open mic type thing. But uh, that's very brave of you to bring your friends. Yeah, I
2: guess I guess that depends on how you feel about that. I'm not sure like you'd have to ask me from eight years ago what I was thinking, but I don't know, I guess because they were like, I wouldn't have brought my mom or somebody whose opinion I really valued, but a bunch of my friends who were drinking beers and, and, and most of them, honestly, another reason I probably wasn't afraid is because I bet you, looking back, I had probably tested out half of the stuff I was going to do on that same group of friends. So they had already heard it before. It's not like I was worried that they weren't going to think it was funny, because some of them had probably helped me, uh, you know, decide which jokes I should bring to the stage for my first time and stuff. So
0: yeah. I don't value my friend's opinions either. Right, Corey? <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, that's go, true. go ahead with your yeah. question. Go ahead with your question. I'm sure it's a good one.
1: Uh, I was going to take it back um, when you were talking about going through the divorce and and when you got into a better spot. Did you find like when you're in that place, kind of in that messy part, that it completely zapped your creativity?
2: Uh I mean, I have to remember, but I would say I would lean towards yes, because I don't remember doing anything of that sort. I, I'm sure I was pretty depressed because I went there, I think, to my folks place, like it was the beginning of the new year. That's the, we thought that would be a clean separation date. January 1st is when we like signed the separation agreement and all that. So it was like moving back my parents right in the the dead of Ottawa winter. I, it was rough, I remember. (laughs) And they went away to see my brother, my brother lives in Thailand, my younger brother. And uh, so my parents went away. And I remember having their place to myself for a month and drinking a lot of their wine that they had made themselves. And, uh, you know, trying to get people to come over and kind of like hang out with me. Because I was, I think, too bummed out to like really go out and socialize. And it got better as the spring came and the flowers came out. So did my, you know, personality again. Um, but yeah, I remember it being a dark time. Yeah, It was shitty and I don't remember
1: being creative known. It's amazing how we like, I, I have a creative job that I do every day and Josh, you do creative stuff every day with your writing and it, it's just amazing the headspace that you got to be in. And, and when you do it as like a career, like y- you really have to like find that, find that mental space to be able to do it all the time. Right. Yeah. And I, I've noticed that personally, like if I'm in a bad spot like I'm just not getting work done you know what I mean like my creative stuff is just not happening when it, what do you I'm do if that. I can ask i I do video production so um, oh, okay yeah commercial commercial video production and it's it's hard to think creatively when when you're mentally not there.
2: I would say almost like it's hard to do every job if you're really stressing out and or bummed out or whatever you know because even if you're like just doing accounting or something that feeling of like, I don't give a fuck about what I'm doing right now. I just I gotta tend to my emotions, you know, I think that almost can overwhelm any any career. But I do think you're right with creativity. It's almost an extra thorn in our side, you know,
0: I think too. people who view themselves as a creative person, whether it's writing, acting, music, whatever, you almost there's a pride that you feel there that's sort of over and above working in like, I don't know. This is pretentious, but I think this is true. Like working in a factory or working, you know, I've worked in factories. I've never really held the same sense of pride making tape as I did trying to (laughs) write a book or, you know what I mean? Like it was just, there was that extra thing. And if you're not able to do it, that's very frustrating. And if it's, you know, there's a mental block from something in your personal life, I always would be really aggravated by that. When
2: you're bringing up jobs like that, sort of uh, menial jobs, it makes me think of uh, The Simpsons, Milhouse's dad.
0: I'm a real whiz down at the cracker factory. Yeah. <laughs> like That's got to be one of the most boring jobs in the world. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's about as bad as it gets. And then he gets a divorce. Milhouse's dad and mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and then that's he right. goes to live in his uh, little
2: bachelor with the race car bed the, yeah, that's the best line i get to sleep in a race car bed
0: do you and then homer's like i sleep in a big comfy bed with my wife <laughs> <laughs> that's uh as a kid yeah. i always imagined divorce to be like that like you get mm. then you get, have to go live in like a shitty apartment but then you realize like when you, your friends start to get divorced it's like no you don't get to go live in a shitty apartment you get to go live in your parents basement and that's been all yeah. my friends experience who have been divorced too like you got to go yeah. back to your folks place that's really demoralizing.
2: I mean, in my case, it made sense getting married in my early 20s that I, by my late 20s, didn't have a huge nest egg put aside, you know, with two young kids that I'm trying to support and a shitty job as a security guard. Yeah, I was not really rolling in it. (laughs) But, you know, hey, I do feel like going through all those types of things is super important, though, because like we're talking about when I got into comedy, I did find that I felt like this invulnerability because everything that had happened to me with that situation had really pulverized me emotionally. And, um, you know, not even like, I'm not trying to say my ex like that that's her fault or anything, but just the situation and your family breaking apart. It was, you know, pretty rough. And because I dealt with that stuff, like going on stage to tell jokes didn't seem very scary. I was like, okay, like what's the worst that can happen in comparison to what I had been feeling recently. So yeah, I did. And, and, and that's probably, gone away over time. I think maybe I even get more anxious now because things are good in my life. So it does seem a little more intense. But it's interesting how your perspective can shift depending on what else is going on in your life.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that you used a lot of this, the pain that you had at that time as part of like your stand up um and a lot of i've heard a lot of, or like some of it i've heard a lot of comedians talk about that they use sort of like the dark elements of your life and you you kind of poke fun of it and stuff like that was that the same for you or did you pull from other parts of your life uh to to bring into yeah, your? yeah i don't think
2: i've even to this point in my stand-up like i do talk about my kids like it's usually pretty light i don't know that on stage i've ever gotten really deep or real about stuff and Maybe I should try it. Maybe I think that's how some of the best comedians end up being, you know, world renowned and stuff. But um, I've always liked just like silliness. That's why I write like silly songs uh, that are funny about boners or something. You know, like I I like to keep it pretty light. I do swear and and talk about sex stuff or whatever. But uh, I've on stage, yeah, never really gotten super deep emotional. I like like quirky, non sequitur. Just honestly, it's stupid shit. I think up that I'm curious if other people think it's funny or not. But um, yeah, it's it's, because you have to be so vulnerable to really talk about stuff. And as much as I am an extrovert in a lot of ways, I I am kind of private about my family and about my relationships and stuff in in a lot of ways. So I don't know. That would take some coercing, I think, to get me to do that. I'm always worried, like, well, if I talk about my relationship, then oh, now I got to run everything by my partner. Not that she's like overbearing or anything, but just out of respect, like, hey, you know, I've always wondered that when people are going on stage talking like graphically about their sex life. I'm like, OK, well, as long as and if your partner doesn't care, sure. But um, I think mine would. <laughs> I don't think that I would even want to be talking about that shit. So, you know, for, for now, I remain just a silly, silly comedian who sings songs.
0: <laughs> I could see that for somebody. If you were a comedian and then you met your partner, your wife or husband or whatever it was, it's kind of like that's part of the deal. That's who I am. Yeah, I was a, comes I was with a the comedian. territory. Yeah. exactly but to be like get into a relationship and then all of a sudden a couple of years in it's like i want to be a comedian now and i'm going to talk about us doing it or something like that it'd be like yeah well, i didn't get i didn't sign up for a comedian you know that would that would kind of be a, something where you'd have to yeah it'd be really tough to navigate yeah she, so, again
2: she's really cool she probably would you know not give that much of a shit maybe it's more me maybe i'm just like yeah there's enough people talking about that stuff on stage i'll talk about some completely random crazy shit <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a pretty pretty saturated market for stuff like that.
1: Did you have any stand-ups or comedians or anything that you idolized or looked up to? I'm trying to think. When I was really young, I I mean, I still love
2: most stand-up. There's not a lot of stand-ups that I don't enjoy because I think it's such a beautiful art form that there's such a a wide variety of people sharing their own unique views and and lifestyles and and all that. So I've been pretty open-minded with stand-up. I would say I started getting favorites more... In my adult like in my 20s and stuff like i really liked uh dimitri martin and um he's kind of like a one-liner dry comic um bo burnham blew me away when he came out with his first thing on netflix that was that was really amazing to watch someone blend music and theatrics and classic stand-up and he kind of jumps all over the place which i really like uh, pete holmes i've always been a huge fan of pete holmes uh, just as a person too i listen to his podcast all the time he just uh he seems like such a great dude and I met him once actually just at a just for laughs thing but he was as nice as I thought he would be um, who yeah. else I mean cool. I'm already forgetting tons I'm sure there's so many good stand-ups out there yeah. George Wallace do you know George Wallace Oh
1: yeah. yeah yeah yeah. he's like an
2: old school comedian but I always love yeah. him too yeah yeah,
1: yeah he kind of just you- said whatever whatever he wanted to <laughs> but he, he sure. was yeah, a he pretty was saying, clean comic really get- though
2: yeah, he was pretty clean. He never really went above PG thirteen type stuff in his material. It was pretty clean.
1: I've always loved yeah. uh, Jim Gaffigan for that reason. Like that's why I think his, of yeah. his, when I think of a clean comedian, his ability yeah. to be clean and just like do that long of a set and it's all funny. Like yeah, yeah, it's fantastic.
0: I want to shift gears, talk a little bit about your podcast. To get into that. So how uh, obviously you became a comedian first, or you started doing comedy first before the podcast? Um, what was sort of the origins of the podcast? Like how did you sort of crafty Uh, idea and what was that what was your start like
2: i was listening to a lot of podcasts already i mean i had been listening i don't want to be a a podcast hipster but i was listening to kevin smith's smodcast back like before podcasts were even popular um so i feel like i'm a long time podcast listener so again i don't know why it didn't dawn on me to try one of my own and i'm kicking my own ass because if i had started in 2015 i probably have a a much larger following right now just because of Mm -hmm time and getting in before the wave and all that sort of thing but um no it happened we had carpets in the basement down here and it was kind of like a shitty rec room for the kids that we didn't really use that much and uh i don't know what year this i guess oh it would have been 20 the beginning of 2019 in that winter i don't remember which month probably february or something we had crazy rain even though it was the winter and we had a big flood in the basement here. So we noticed we came downstairs and like, oh, it smells like cat piss or something. And it was just water that had absorbed into these carpets. And like I said, we didn't come down here very much. So it had probably been a day or two of just like flooded carpets. So we had to rip up all that shit and uh, pay a couple grand to install this like sump pump. And, uh, you know, at that point it was kind of like, well, what are we going to do with the room now? And I sort of floated the idea. And then it became a fun project for me and my partner. We were just uh, painting for like a month or two months or whatever it was. And whenever we had time, we'd come down here. Like you can't see it, probably. No, you can't see it. But uh, the floors are all gold down here. I don't know why I wanted gold floors, but I thought it would be baller. And it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it is. I've
0: seen pictures of it. It's, it's pretty baller.
2: Yeah. So uh, you know, we had a fun little craft project for a couple of months and it felt like we're doing something cool with what would have been just a boring storage room or whatever. Uh and then that summer was actually when I met Pete Holmes and went to Just For Laughs for the first time and caught some shows there. So I was definitely getting really interested in stand-up even more and more. As much as I was doing it, um that summer, I don't know, reignited even more love for stand-up and got me really back into it again. And uh I had reached out to Kyle Brownrigg, who was someone who I had been on a couple shows with. Um, he's very funny dude. He's got a special on Crave, and he's done Just for Laughs. It's I good. I watched know. it. It's yeah, good. he's super funny and super nice guy too. Uh, and he agreed to do my show that didn't even exist at the time a couple months before I think we even did it. And he came on, and from there I kind of just hit the ground running. Um, we were really figuring things out as we went. If you look at the first, I think it's four or five episodes, we just had like one basic camera, and then we upgraded to a three camera setup so we could have a single on each guest. I don't remember what episode, but we're slowly just kind of figuring it out. Um, And then we were at episode 15 was the one with Strombo, and that was like a real game changer, uh, understandably, because you know we were just this amateur thing. I should say also a big part of this was uh, my dad had recently retired at the time, This is uh, summer of 2019. The show, we put out the first one, October 2019. Uh, And my dad had just retired, so he had a bunch of free time. And he agreed to come down and run the mics and run the cameras and all that. And now, if you watch the show, he's sort of like a co-host. He has his own mic and everything. And he weighs in on things whenever he feels it's appropriate. Um, So that's been really amazing for our relationship, we didn't have a bad relationship or anything, but we're like friends now, you know, like adult friends with my dad. Like it's, it's a totally different experience. And I very much appreciate that this show helped flourish that, you know? Um,
1: That's so yeah, cool.
2: Strombo came a uh, long story short. Yeah. I commented on some Instagram post saying, Hey, i love it. If you're ever in Ottawa, I'd love to interview you, which was something I was writing on many people's Instagrams because I was just trying to, you know, throw the net out there people that I respected and wanted to interview, but it's everybody I could think of, you know, and he was cool enough to say, Oh, I'm actually going to be in Ottawa tomorrow. And I still didn't really believe anything was going to come from it. At that point, I was supposed to do a stand-up show that night and I ended up having to bail on it because I got an email saying, you know, here's my agent or PR lady or whatever. Uh, and she'll kind of set up the details. And me and my dad went and picked him up at the airport and he came and then he did a live stream in my dad's car, I think. And uh, he had a thing like the next morning in Ottawa at like 6 a.m. He had to get up and she told me, uh, his agent or publicist again, I don't remember what her position was, but she told me that uh, we would have like an hour with him and then he stayed for two hours because I guess he was enjoying the conversation and he stayed in the arcade with me after. Yeah, he was totally, couldn't have been a cooler dude and it couldn't have been more meaningful to someone who was starting out on interviewing people and feeling like, Hey, I'm I'm okay at this and I seem to be able to create a pretty good rapport with my guests. Maybe I should have been doing this a long time ago. And then mainly to just not shit the bed, interviewing George Strombolopoulos meant so much to me. The fact that he stayed an extra hour and I felt like I did a decent job and I didn't just like for someone with anxiety and panic attacks and shit like that, you know, I just figured that would happen. Like I would not faint, but you know, just be too jittery or like whatever, or just sound Mm -hmm. like a dumbass or but um and maybe that's credit to him maybe he made me feel comfortable maybe he knows as a host how to extend that energy or whatever but um yeah that was a huge game changer and i instantly started going back to messaging people but now was able to say past guests include <laughs> strom Lopolis. Yeah, so um yeah after that the oh i should say though that that was the end of january and we all know what happened like a month and a half after that covid hits so uh, I think I was at episode 20. I had just interviewed DJ Noah from live 88 five and then pandemic came down and I didn't do any podcast for a couple months while I started to try to navigate zoom and all that shit. So um, but I came back strong right after that. I did Kim Mitchell. Um, uh, I did an interview with Fred Penner right after that, which was also super meaningful uh, to me cool. just as that's someone right. who watched him when I was five years old, um, you know, and then Spenny was 20 episode 25 and that was another big, Huge, arguably an even bigger break than the Strombo thing because that was the first time I ever got like massive views on a video. Very
0: yeah, cool. like you were like 60 plus thousand on that particular one on YouTube. I think the, that's which is pretty insane.
2: Yeah, the clip that I have out of anything on my channel, I think the most is a clip of Spenny and it's, I don't know what it's at right now, but it was over a 100,000. So that was...
0: Yeah, yeah, the sixty thousand is the entire episode, which is wild for sixty thousand people to tune in on a video that's over an hour long. Like that's with people's uh, ability to pay attention nowadays. That's an insane number for a video that long.
2: Oh, I doubt they watch the whole thing though. You can check all that in YouTube too. It'll say like average view duration, and it's usually very disappointing.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure of it. Yeah, but there's just to even click on it because people look at it and they go, "Oh, an hour? No, they're looking for like you know TikTok style few
2: seconds." Yeah, I often think my show would be doing much better if I had both the time and the patience and the want to create a bunch of bingeable, you know, 30 second clips and stuff like that. I'm going to start putting more on my YouTube and I and I do that on Instagram. If I have a new episode that goes up, I'll put like a a little one minute Mm -hmm. clip or something. But I'm not on TikTok or I have an account with like one video on there. It's just when TikTok came out, I was at my my fill for like social media apps and stuff i was like already at the end and it felt also like super youthful like i'm just gonna feel old if i use this you know um so i never really got into that and lo and behold it turned out to be this huge <laughs> opportunity yeah. for marketing and stuff but yeah i don't know I, the long form stuff really appeals to me too and i don't think that's in fashion right now and who knows maybe it'll have a resurgence five ten years from now people will start
1: so as far as your podcast goes, you've you've interviewed a lot of high profile people, um, especially some Canadian icons as from our past. Um, yeah. Who would you say was kind of the hardest to to get to?
2: Um, the one that comes to mind is Kenny Hotz because he really made me work for that interview. Like I I went back and forth with him through text for a very long time and or messages on Instagram or whatever it was, and he was kind of playing coy and and sort of hinting that he might do it, but never really confirming. And and then at one point he flat out said, uh, if I do this, like you better have amazing questions or something. Like a lot of like scare tactic type stuff too, which I think was just him messing with me because he would say something like that really kind of intense like, These better be great questions. But then he would put XOX or something at the end of the message. So he was just like mentally fucking with me, I think. But I was very proud um, with how I handled that because it did add pressure on my end. I was like, oh, shit, he probably has done a million interviews. And he's a really uh, think outside of the box kind of guy. And even more to add pressure to it, I I remember I was working at the hospital a day shift that day. And it was still up in the air if he was maybe – they were doing the show here that night, and he might do it. He might not, kind of. And uh, I was running back here on my lunch break because I had come up with the idea that, if okay, he's trying to intimidate me. These better be great questions. I'm going to pull a Kenny Hotz and cheat, and I'm just going to reach out to a bunch of people that he knows – that they can then provide me with audio or video questions. So then if he doesn't like the questions, he's not, it's not my fault. It's, it's his friends and people he's not going to want to hold it against, you know? So I thought that was kind of a cool move and I was coming back here. Somehow I got a bunch of people, um, some of whom had been on the show, like Humplick had just come on the episode before and they knew each other from back in the day, uh, in California or something like that. And then I got, um, oh my God, there was a bunch of people, uh, Sebi, Who had also been on the show. Yeah, I had done a Zoom interview with him, and Sebi was kind of one of the camera guys, writer, directors of Kenny versus Spenny. So I got him. I got uh, Mark Breslin, who's the creator of Yuck Yucks. Wow, geez. Uh, uh, Phil Hartman's brother, Paul, who's a great guy uh, and also a good friend of Kenny's. So all these people came through. Oh, Stefan Brogren from Degrassi, who had also been on the show. So it was reaching out and kind of asking a favor from some people and then completely blind asking a couple others. And pretty much everybody got back to me. So that was cool. But I was frantically coming back here and trying to program all the questions into our um so that my dad could just hit the buttons when we're doing the podcast and it would come through our headphones, trying to get that all ready, not even knowing if the podcast was going to happen. Rushing back, I'm like 10 minutes late from my break from work to to get back on the floor. And then Spenny calls me. Hey, is Kenny coming to your place tonight? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Isn't he with you? So it was all very surreal. Even though Spenny had been on my show already and I had met him, it was still very weird to be getting a call from Spenny while I'm trying to get back to work. And Um, it all came through though. So that was a, but that was definitely the one that felt like the most, uh, hoops to jump through and preparation. And I'm happy to say that I felt like it really paid off and it went over well.
1: Yeah. It sounds like George Strombolopoulos. You were just like, Hey, uh, he was like, if you pick me up from the airport, I'll do your basically. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Like what a cool dude. Right. Especially when you got so much to do the next day and yeah, no, he was immensely cool. But yeah, everyone, sure. I've had so many cool people that I'm so thankful for any of them, even not the people who are not as well known, you know, like anyone who's going to come and spend time with me and share their memories with me like that's that's a special thing. I don't think it'll ever stop being a special thing.
0: I met Strombo in 2004 when I was actually in broadcasting school and one of my inspirations as a kid was actually him. Like he was one of the reasons I went to school for broadcasting. I got to meet him at a Jays game and he was super nice. nice. He sat three rows in front of us and he must have taken pictures with like several hundred people and he took every single picture, signed every single autograph, was just so humble. I'm like, why is this guy even come out? Like he can't even see the game because all he does is just... But he must have enjoyed it because he would just do it over and over. Yeah. But it, was, uh, it was nice to see and he was one of the first like celebrities that I ever got to meet and I'd always you know, understood it to be that like, you don't want to meet your heroes. Not that he was my hero, but he was somebody that I looked up to. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty cool that he's actually like that.
2: Yeah. Well, in Toronto,
0: Toronto, I can only
2: imagine how many people would be trying to get a picture with him. That's like probably where he's best known. Well, he's known all across Canada, but Toronto, I would imagine he spent a lot of time there with much music and all that.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he's done a lot of huge things even since the much music days. Oh yeah. The hour. Yeah. I used to watch that all the time that was he I've, I've said this multiple times to people, but I think he's probably the best interviewer that there's been. Like I, yeah. I used to always think it was Larry King. That was the best at actually interviewing people, it's but hard I don't know. It there's is. There's so many great styles.
2: interviewers out there. Like um, I've always loved Dick Cavett from the sixties, late sixties. And well, I mean, he had shows all through those decades, but, you can see him doing interviews with like Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and people like that. And Salvador Dali and one of the Marx brothers, all these people who are like long dead now. And he's yeah. a great interviewer,
0: but I love Conan too. Like uh, everyone's yeah, got their own
2: style. That's what I love. You know?
0: Yeah. So- the, you, you mentioned an energy from Strombo that you feel that he kind of passed on to you so that you weren't nervous actually interviewing him. That's a good way of putting it. Cause I, I see him interview people and he does seem to have like a connection that he can make with pretty much anybody. Um, if you actually watch your show, the episodes before you interview Strombo and the episodes after you as an interviewer are substantially like better at it after that episode. I've always mm. wondered, and I've always wanted to ask you this, like, was there something that you took away from interviewing him that you've sort of carried in um, and carried forward to when you actually do interviews? I mean, who knows what, like, if we're talking about empathy and all that, I
2: I do think that that was something that he definitely had a lot of and and he made me feel comfortable. And it's something that I like to think I I'm able to do with my guests because there's a lot of times I watch my stuff and I go, Oh, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. But one thing I know that in my heart that I am actually talented at or whatever is, uh, making my guests feel comfortable because I've gotten really candid interviews out of people that I've seen in other interviews that don't seem that relaxed or, um, know not to toot my own horn but that's one thing i am proud of whether or not that came from strombo i mean some of that's probably just like my subconscious being like wow you've had strombo on your show now you're you're a bona fide host like it was probably just a huge confidence boost and and i just didn't really look back i think was the other thing as soon as that happened i was like okay i can do something with this now like this lends a lot of credibility, not just that I got him on, but that I did a good interview with him for two hours and he seemed to enjoy himself and whatever. So yeah, it was probably just a low key in the back of my head an awareness of like, okay, people are going to take me a little more seriously now, especially at a time where everybody was launching a podcast and the pandemic was happening, you know, so it felt very hard to stand out. I still feel like that, but um, yeah, that, that's probably what you're sensing. I haven't gone back and watched those older episodes I rarely go back and watch anything, maybe clips on my Instagram, but, um, yeah, I just get embarrassed. I'm sure like I'll cringe if I watch the really (laughs) old ones, I'll I'll probably see glimpses of of things that I like, but yeah, I mean, even in newer episodes, sometimes I can watch something and go, oh man, I, I wasn't on that episode and people will tell me otherwise. Oh, that was a great one. But you know, we all, at least I, I hyperanalyze everything. So I don't know. I think most people are self-critical in a big way. So i would definitely yeah. suffer from that
0: so i was gonna say for me having watched the the old ones and then watching you after strombo one one major change that i noticed is you went from being more of like A Q&A type interviewer so just I ask the question they give an mm. answer to being much more of a conversationalist which i think is what one of strombo's big s- strengths was the fact that he never did that he was always a conversationalist with people and it's something that as cory and i have started doing our podcast we're like we noticed it in our first few episodes that we were very much a we ask, they answer. We ask, they answer. Yeah. And we've tried to make it much more like this where it's it's more conversational. And that's a strength that I think you really have. And I'm, I'm like, I still don't have it. And I don't know that. Sorry, Corey, you don't have it either. We're, we're still trying no. to figure out our our still, strength with that. Yeah. But it's something going that. Um, yeah. Like, I
2: don't know. Like, I disagree. You guys seem very uh, loose when we're going on tangents here in a good way. So I don't I don't know. I think you're being too hard uh, on yourself. That's nice of you to say. <laughs> we
0: we we're self-critical, just like you. Just like you, uh, you brought and, up. And to um, the point
2: of the Q and A and all that, I would also say that um, it very much depends on the guest. Because I still have sometimes have episodes where it feels more like a question and answer thing, and then I have other episodes where it feels like I'm legitimately just hanging out with a friend and not even really doing the question side of things at all. But uh, yeah, I've had episodes where I write like double sided notes in ultra preparedness and then end up using like 10% of them because we just click and we just go into conversational free fall in a good way, you know? Uh, And then sometimes I wish I had written more notes because there's certain guests, you ask them a question and they're like, they give you this energy of like next please, you know, and you can burn through your sheet real quick when they've got no room for, um, you know, tangents and, and sort of just chatting. Big picture. Where would you like to, to go with it? Um, Yeah, I probably should put more thought into that. I'm just going to keep trying to hunt down people that I admire and uh, people that I grew up watching and people that are on the rise. That's another thing I really um, take pride in is I do think that I have somewhat of an eye for talent. Obviously, these people are talented on their own. But I I do feel like I've had people on my show that were just starting out that even since they've been on the show have really uh, made leaps and bounds in their respective industries and fields and stuff. So uh, I'm excited to see where a lot of the guests that have already been on end up in another five, 10 years. Um, and I, I always keep my eye out for people like that, that I think, okay, this person's about to blow up or or just this person needs more of a platform. Like if even if mine is only limited, I want to extend it. If I see someone whose talent or or intellect or whatever is so intriguing to me that I'm like, people need to hear you. You know, I, I always try to extend that if I see someone who really takes my breath away with whatever they're doing
0: yeah you mentioned that with uh ruckus comedy and and logan (laughs) i saw logan on your show i'm like damn this guy's pretty funny and then i started watching ruckus i'm like these guys are actually hilarious all three of them are really good so i will say logan is uh, also an
2: amazing guitarist like yeah he's very good he's a super funny guy and he's a great singer too but there's nothing i respect more than his guitar work as someone who plays guitar i'm like a rhythm guitarist playing reggae chords like i i'm not a a Hendrix, you know, solo type guy. You might be with all those on the wall. No. No, okay. You <laughs> you you're okay.
0: Campfire songs no. and shit. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But Campfire Corey's
2: wildly talented.
0: Yeah, he's very good. His Instagram, he does like all these uh like spoofs of uh famous songs. He did Third Eye Blind's like a couple weeks ago, uh Jumper. It was a pretty hilarious bit about going to get chicken. Uh, oh yeah. I enjoyed I that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it <was> pretty funny. <laughs> Is is actually a hard thing to do to, to pick people up as they're kind of on the upswing and sort of introduce them to the world. And, and Logan is somebody, I think, who will be a very oh, famous yeah. comedian one day. And you can yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely be like, you know, I, a I spotted course, him.
2: He's always yeah, playing he, shows and traveling around. Yeah, he never stops.
0: That's a cool thing. And, you know, honestly, uh, you, you talked about like building an audience and like trying to monetize it. I think the hardest thing is building an audience. And there's so much value. If you can build... Yeah followers and an audience in this day and age the money aspect of it can follow i don't think quickly but i think in in a relatively reasonable amount of time but you've built a pretty good audience already it's only getting
2: subscribers so i mean in the world of
0: youtube that's pretty small potatoes but
2: it means a lot to me for sure
0: i can remember when it was 500 i think i was probably around your 500th subscriber and that was not that long it was like a year and a half ago
2: I remember when Strombo came on talking about how we had like 76 at the time and he was the one who said that's 76 people, you know, who want to watch you do this. Like that's 76 people like, you know, and you kind of have to retrain your brain to remember that's a lot of people. (laughs) It's just not in comparison to 8.2 million or whatever you're seeing on some, you know, social media or YouTube or whatever, but you can't just live your life comparing. And I also think that um, at least I hope this to be true that, it's a lot easier to grow a channel quickly when you have a hard niche or you pick like a a very strict lane because it might not be applicable to a lot of people, but the people that are interested in that thing are going to, you know, lock on. So say you're really into Like if I had just done a board game podcast, then I might've gotten, I think more subscribers in the board game community. There's probably a lower level that it will eventually plateau at because it's, it is that niche, but I think you can get followers quicker that way. Whereas I'm hoping that with this show, it's a slower burn, but that at least I know the people that I'm accumulating like this weird thing that I'm doing that is very kind of all over the place. And, you know, I, I can't help it. I, I'm interested in a lot of different shit. So there's always going to be stand-up comics. But, you know, I, I've had some board game people on my show because I like board games. And those are going to be episodes where some of my viewers are like, well, what the fuck is this? I don't I don't care about this, you know? <laughs> and and it's true. It's a bad decision from my point of view. It's It's very uh specific and and a lot of my other audience people won't like it but i don't know i want to have fun doing what i'm doing too and and i love just uh seeking out people that tickle my fancy you know
0: yeah, yeah i mean that's what i think that's what the world is becoming is like a lot of it is networking when we were kids people used to always say like it's not who you or it's not what you know it's who you know yeah and we used to i i mean at least for me i used to be like ah, oh, that's, that's a bunch of bullshit and then i get to be an adult and i'm like oh, that's pretty true yeah, a lot of it is who you know. Like, if you have a good network of people, there's a lot more that you can do
2: than if you just know maybe a handful of people. Especially like Hollywood and stuff like that, to the entertainment industry.
0: Yeah, any of the arts, really. Yeah, um, like you think about it. Like, if you're playing a, a you know, a show as a comedian, and they're like, "Oh, we're looking for another guy," go through your rolodex. Who are some yeah. other comedians that you could vouch for? Same yeah. with being a musician. Like, we're looking for somebody else to to play this show. Well, I know eight guys. Here you go. So that that's what we hope to build for ourselves for our, our various professions, but this is a great tool for it. I don't see us making much in the way of money, but who knows? Anything's possible in this day and yeah. age. And, and as long as you're having fun, done. yeah, that's just it. And we're we're having a good time doing it so far, and I'm glad we were able to finally sit down and uh, have a conversation. And hell it yeah, was, uh, it was a no, great time. Thank you it so much. I really a appreciate lunch. it. This was, a, this was a lot of fun. It was oh, great this was to see you. Thank talk you so to. much for having me on. Send me that audio book so I can
2: stop feeling like an asshole for not reading the book yet.
0: <laughs> I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you.